Colossians chapter 1. We're going to uh, finish chapter 1 today as we've been working through the book of Colossians. We looked at verse 24 last week, uh, which was a, <clears throat> a whole sermon in and of itself. Today we're going to finish chapter 1. I'm going to actually begin reading from verse 24 so we get the proper context, and I'm going to read through verses 20, uh, 24 through 29. So as was Christ to his Father and Paul to his Lord, so you are the servants of God according to the stewardship from God which was given to you for the sake of his body, the church. That's, that's all of us. For this reason, to fulfill God's word, the mystery of his gospel, now made known to his saints, you holy ones, you are saints, because God made you that. And you are to make the riches of his glory known. You are to preach Christ, warning and teaching every man so that every man may be presented perfect in Christ. You are to labor to this end, striving according to his working, which works in you mightily. This is our service. This is what we do as his servants. This is our stewardship from God. Let's read Colossians 1. Verses 25 through 29, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is his church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Christ. Thank you that the work of Christ is complete. It is finished. It is lacking nothing. And there is nothing we can add to that finished work. But there are afflictions that we must endure in this life. Jesus, you promised us that in this world we would have tribulation, but we are to be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. There is affliction in this world, but we know that you have overcome the world. Therefore, we rejoice, yes, even in the midst of our afflictions. And we rejoice because you have made us your servants and you have given to us a stewardship, and we are to serve you, and we are to make you known so that all men, Lord, all those who are your 
children, all those who are your disciples, all those that you chose in you before the foundation of the world would be presented to you perfect in Christ Jesus. And Father, that will happen because of your grace, the working, the mighty working of your grace that works in us for your glory. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are servants with a stewardship from God to fulfill the word of God. In Colossians 1.25, this is what Paul writes. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul became a minister of Christ's body, of his church, according to the stewardship from God. So like Paul, we all have become ministers or servants of God. That word minister here is the Greek word diakonos. It simply means servant. It's where we get our word deacon. We are to serve him and administer all that he has given to us to be stewards over in accordance with the law of his house. We are to serve him according to his house rules, according to the law of his household. That's what Paul is saying when he says that he has become a minister with a stewardship from God. The word translated stewardship is the Greek word oikonomia. It means the stewardship or the administration or the management of a household. It can be translated commission or dispensation, but it implies the administration of responsibility. A steward is someone placed over something to be responsible for, to manage it, to administer it. This word, oikonomios, comes from two Greek words, oikos, which means house, and nomos, which means law. Oikonomia, translated stewardship, or administration is very simply the house law or the law of the house. It is the way a house is to be responsibly managed. Someone is given the stewardship to fulfill the responsibility set out in administering a household in accordance with the laws of that house. That's what we do as servants of God. Now, you all have a house. And I would imagine you all have rules of your house. So there's probably certain things that can be done in your house, and there's certain things that can't be done in your house. The house rules, right? Well, God has a house. In fact, uh, the writer of Hebrews says we are God's house. Uh, God says Moses was a servant, not this same word, not a diakonos, but a servant, it's the only time this word servant is used in the New Testament, was spoke of Moses, who was the attendant in the house of God. But Jesus is not the attendant of the house. Jesus is the son. And the writer of Hebrews says, whose house we are. We are the oikos, the house, or the household of God. 
And Paul says that I have been made a servant with a stewardship from God, with an administration or a management, a responsibility from God over this house. And so like Paul, we are made his servants to fulfill the word of God. We are here because we belong to Christ, to do his will, to fulfill his word. We do not belong to ourselves. We've been purchased with a price, the blood of Christ. We don't belong to ourselves to do our own will apart from his. We are to live according to his house law, not our own. We are the house of God, so we are to be governed by his stewardship or his household law. We are to obey and to fulfill the word of God, not the whims of the world. It seems that much of the church today is more worried about fulfilling or meeting the whims of the world and the expectations of the world than they are in obeying God's word. And the house rule, the stewardship we've been entrusted with is to obey God's word. This is what Paul said, this stewardship from God to fulfill God's word. Some, like the Apostle Paul, are given a stewardship from God in specific callings or vocations. This is true for pastors and elders. So I have a calling from God. I've been given a vocation from God as a pastor. And pastors and elders are called by God and charged to rule over God's flock and to, to equip them for the work of the ministry. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So as one who is charged to watch over your souls, the Bible says, I'm going to give an account to God one day. And so you are charged to be submissive to God, submissive to his word. I'm charged to tell you what his word is, to equip you in that word so that you're equipped for the work of ministry. And so what we're all to be submitted to is God's word. We're all to be submitted to God. It's just that in my calling, in my vocation, God is going to judge me and hold me accountable as to whether I taught you his word, told you his word, and told you the truth. Whether I was more worried about my popularity with you than whether I was telling you the truth of God and his word or not. So you get that. One day, I'm not going to give an account to you. I'm going to give an account to God on how I told you, taught you, preached Christ to you, warning you and teaching you. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Paul writes, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why did he give those? Well, verse 12 tells us, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Not those people that have a special certificate given to them by some church in in, in Vatican City, no, you are saints because God made you holy. 
we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the church across all ages. And that church is made up of his saints, his holy ones who became holy because of what Christ did, not because someone gave them a title or approved of their work. And they finally earned a place to be called a saint. The Bible calls you saints because God has made you holy ones in Christ Jesus. And if he has made you and called you holy ones, guess how we're supposed to live? We're supposed to live holy. This is the calling and the vocation God has given to specific men as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These men that he has placed over his church, this is the calling God gives them. But it is not only pastors or elders who are called ministers or servants and given a stewardship. We all, whether we're pastors or not. Every believer is called a servant and has been given a stewardship from God. It begins with yourself, with your family, and all that God has placed in your life, including your relationship to one another in the body of Christ, the church. That's who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. We're just one part of the church. The church exists across the world throughout time, past, present, and into the future. And we're part of that by God's grace in Christ. But Paul says that this, this ministry, this service, was given to him according to a stewardship that came from God for you, for the church, to fulfill God's word. So Paul's vocation as apostle was to make sure that the church was fulfilling God's word, that pastors were preaching the word, that they were imparting the truth of God's word to those saints, to those believers. So no matter your vocation, you are called a servant of God in Christ Jesus. You've been given a stewardship from God for one another to fulfill the word of God. You are the body of Christ joined to one another and knit together in his life for the building up of the body, which is the church. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up, that's us, that we may grow up in all things into him, into Christ, who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We are to be effectively working together Every part doing its share, causing growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I went for the very first time in my life last week to a chiropractor. And I told the chiropractor, I said, there's only, there's only one, there's only one uh, vocation I fear more than you, and that's the dentist. I said, I, I still don't want to go to the dentist. It's worse for me going to the dentist than it is coming to see you. I said, but I, I'm in enough pain that I finally said, I got to do something. And my doctor said, you should go see a masseuse or a chiropractor. And I can't find a masseuse that hurts me bad enough. So I said, well, I'll try a chiropractor. And you know what? Praise God. Man, it worked. I'm telling you what. It was like a miracle. 
It worked. And, and you know what my problem was? My body was out of alignment. Specifically, I had a bone in my neck. And I had these muscles and tendons in my neck and my shoulder that weren't, weren't right. And everything was out of alignment. And so my body wasn't supplying to the other parts of it what it needed. It was disjointed. It was not connected correctly. Do you realize this is exactly the picture Paul is painting here in his letter to the Ephesians? Calling us a body knit and joined together, every part supplying what the other needs. That's what we do for one another. This is why every week when you come to worship, we want you to get out of this idea that you're coming to have your own personal experience with God to get something out of it. Now, I want you to have an experience with God. I want you to get something out of it, but I want you to also understand that the most important reason you are here is for one another and for Him. That's why we're here. Let us consider one another not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, the writer of Hebrews says. And just like a body that's out of joint, I mean, if my, my, you know, when our body parts just decide to go do their own thing, not taking into consideration the rest of the body, we call that unhealthy. In fact, there's a name for that disease. It's called cancer. It's when your cells decide to do their own thing and not work in concert with the rest of your body. And they start working against the rest of your body. That's not a good thing. And so the Bible says that we're here. We're to be effectively working together, every part doing its share, causing growth of the body for the building up of itself in love, that we have a stewardship from God for one another to fulfill His word and to see His body, the church, built itself up in love for the growth and the glory of His kingdom on earth. It's why we sent Pastor Cornelius some money last week, because he's part of our body. He's part of the body of Christ. Now, we've never met. You've not met anybody in his church, and you've not met Pastor Cornelius, but you don't have to meet him personally to know that he's part of the body of Christ. And we did that because we had something that we could supply to him that he could not supply to himself. And that's why we're joined and knit together to do that. There's a mystery that is now revealed to his saints. Colossians 1.26. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. There is a mystery. The fulfillment of the word of God has brought about the revealing of a mystery which has been hidden from past ages and from past generations, but is now revealed to his saints. We now know the mystery and so do the rulers of this world now know it. The Apostle Paul wrote of this mystery in his letter to the Corinthians. He mentions it here in Colossians. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Paul writes, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. That was a long time ago. Before the ages. For our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, 
nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Notice, had the rulers of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, that should beg the question, what was it the enemies of God did not know, but had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus? They obviously thought that Christ crucified was the defeat of Christ that sealed their own victory. But guess what? Instead, it sealed their own defeat. The mystery is Christ for all the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was revealed, Paul writes in Colossians, to the Gentiles, to the nations, not just to the nation of Israel, but now every nation. God has revealed this mystery to us through his spirit. Colossians 1.27, to them... God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. That word Gentile simply means nations. means everyone but the Jews. Including the nations include the Jews. Salvation includes the Jews, but it's not exclusive to the Jews now, as it was in the Old Covenant. Now the mystery is made known among the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reason we can know that What are the riches of the glory of this mystery is because God in his grace willed to make it known to us by his spirit. The mystery that was unknown to the rulers of this world was the mystery of the gospel. The good news that Christ crucified would result in the salvation of the whole world. The salvation of the world is not the salvation of every single human being in the world. Because we know every single human being in the world is not going to be saved. It is the salvation of every kind of human being in the world. It is human beings from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation in the world, both Jew and Gentile alike. His work of salvation would result in Christ dwelling in his people by the Holy Spirit and giving To those he saves, a sure hope. And that sure hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God taking on flesh and dying on a cross were the things inconceivable to Satan. We talked about this in our Sunday school this morning. You go back to Genesis and you read about the encounter between the serpent and and Eve and Adam. And it doesn't take long to realize that the serpent had no clue what God's plan was. Jesus is called the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. So the scripture pictures Jesus slain before there is a creation, before there is a world, before there is a garden, before there is a a man and a woman to eat from the tree in the garden. Jesus is called the lamb slain before That means Jesus was always meant to die, that God's eternal plan and God's eternal purpose was always for Christ to die to redeem his people. The cross is not plan B. 
There's only one eternal plan and purpose, and it has never changed, even with the fall of man in the garden. And so the serpent was being set up by God right there in the garden, in the very beginning. And the serpent wanted Adam and Eve to eat that fruit because he wanted Adam and Eve to die, and I believe he would have encouraged them to eat from the tree of life if he could have, if God wouldn't have kicked him out of the garden in his grace so that they would live in an eternal state of fallenness just like he is. That's what Satan, that's what the serpent wanted man to become, eternally fallen just like he is. If I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. But God had a mystery that he didn't let anybody know about except the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit knew the mystery. But the serpent was set up from the very beginning. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about here. That God taking on flesh and dying on a cross, it was inconceivable to Satan. It was inconceivable to the rulers of this world. It's still inconceivable and insulting to religions like Islam Today, God coming down to us instead of demanding we rise to him is a foreign concept among the false religions and false gods of fallen mankind. The gospel is that God in Christ humbled himself and put on flesh to become a man and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, becoming a curse for us. In this unforeseen humble obedience, Christ conquered sin, he conquered death, and is given the name above every other name. He gained that exalted place, not through violence the way Satan sought it, but through humble obedience. Now Christ inhabits his people and has become the hope of glory for the whole world. Jesus is exalted. He is Lord of all. This is the gospel. This is good news. It is Christ, therefore, that must be preached. Colossians 1.28, Paul writes, Him we preach, Christ we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. There is no other we are to preach. There is no other name, no other topic, no other good news. There is only Christ. It is Christ we are to preach. Christ is the gospel. He is the center of all creation. He is the light and life we are to seek. There is no other. The world would have us believe otherwise. The world would have you believe that there are many ways and many paths that all lead to the same God. After all, we all worship the same God. That's what the world wants us to believe. That is a lie. That's exactly what Satan wanted man to believe in the very beginning. Tempting him by saying, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. That's why God doesn't want you to eat it. There's another way. You can make your own way, is what he was telling man. And that is the lie the world wants us to believe. We preach Christ, for Christ has declared himself the only way. The preaching of Christ means the preaching of the cross. That means sin and repentance must be preached in order for salvation and life to be preached. 
If Christ came to save us, that means he saved us from something. If he didn't save us from anything, if there was no need for us to be saved, then what was the point of him dying? So you cannot preach Christ and not preach the cross, which means you must preach sin and repentance in order to preach salvation and life. There is no resurrection life if there is no death in the cross. You must be crucified with Christ in order to be raised in his life. The preaching of Christ is the preaching of our death unto life, as the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified. I'm going re- to read this to you from the King James because I like the way the King James says it. King James says it like this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me. I am crucified with Christ, Paul writes. That, what happened to him? What happens when you get crucified? You die. Nevertheless, he says, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This is the point of our Sunday school lesson right now. Not I, but Christ. It's that you understand that salvation, the gospel is not you living a better life. The gospel is that Christ has imparted his very life into you. And the life you now live is the life of Christ. And you live it in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. What glorious good news. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Christ is to be preached Warning every man, Paul writes. We warn every man that Christ alone is the door. He alone is the gate to the narrow way. Jesus himself, by the way, you very often hear people say, well, that just means just a handful of people are going to be saved. No, no. The narrow way, the narrow gate means there's only one way to life. But Jesus, the salvation that Jesus brings is going to save a world full of people innumerable. So don't believe this lie that God's going to just save a handful of people. No. God is going to save the world, a world full of people. And we are to warn every man that Christ is that gate to the narrow way. Jesus himself said that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. John 14, 6. Christ is the only way to the Father. In preaching Christ, we warn every man of this truth. Christ is the one way from death to life. There is no other. We must warn men that any other way they seek is a literal dead end. As it has always been, there are many ways, many paths that are preached today and sadly even within the church. There is only one though, only one way, only one truth, and only one life. And that only one is Jesus Christ. Him we preach. Christ is to be preached, teaching every man in all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is what the Proverbs teaches us. Trusting in Christ is the result of wisdom that comes from the grace of God. Teaching every man that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is God's gift so that no man may boast. You and I will never boast in what we have done we will only boast in what Christ has done. This is why the picture in Revelation of those elders 
casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Because whatever rewards, whatever we may earn, whatever we may gain, and we do not earn our salvation, but there are rewards. But even in that, we will know that even those rewards are God's grace. And to God, to Christ, belongs all the glory. Teaching every man that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he prepared beforehand, that means before the world, was created. He had prepared good works for you to walk in. Christ is preached, teaching every man in all wisdom to walk in the light as he as in the light. Or as John writes in his first epistle, that we are to walk just as he walked. So if he is holy and we are called holy, we are to walk in holiness. Christ is to be preached, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul labored to present every man perfect in Christ, and we are to do no differently. Verse 29, Colossians 1.29, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. Paul was laboring to present every man perfect in Christ. That is also what we are to be laboring for. The shorthand for this is making disciples. Jesus commands we go and disciple the nations. Making a disciple is simply preparing men to be presented perfectly in Christ. Making disciples does not sound nearly as daunting as presenting every man perfect in Christ. Parents, this is your labor with your children. You are disciples who are your disciples that God has given to you in his grace. This is the stewardship that's given you from God. This daunting sounding task of presenting every man perfect in Christ like all other things can only be achieved by his grace. How are disciples made? How are men presented perfect in Christ? Well, only by God's grace. But not apart from the hard work of making disciples. Making disciples is not complicated. It's just hard work. Anyone that's ever raised a child... Would you say it's easy? Well, of course you wouldn't. It's hard work. It's not complicated work. It's just hard work. And so is making disciples. And so men being presented perfect in Christ doesn't happen apart from the hard work of making disciples, but it does not happen apart from the grace of God that makes men perfect in God's sight. This is your service as one entrusted with a stewardship. Paul knows this task is impossible for any man in the flesh. Thus, he reminds us that you are striving according to his working, which works in you mightily. In other words, you are working, but it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You are working, but it is according to his working, which works in you mightily, by his spirit dwelling in you. As you labor, as you strive, as you live out your faith each day, you do it according to.
to his working which works in you. Notice that God's working which works in you is described as working mightily. It is not I or you, but Christ living in me and you. That is the difference. God has not left you to yourself to work in your own insufficient strength. In your weakness, he calls you to labor and strive according to his mighty work of grace. His grace is sufficient in the face of your own insufficiency. Don't ever forget that. When you feel insufficient, when you feel inadequate, remind yourself you are, but his grace is sufficient. When you are weak, he is strong. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Thus, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes these words. Listen to these words that make no worldly sense. When Paul is praying and asking Jesus to remove the thorn from his flesh, and he asks three times, and God denies him three times, then Christ says to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient, for in your weakness my strength is made perfect. And Paul then begins in his letter to the Corinthians. He writes, he said, I will rejoice in weakness. I will rejoice in infirmities. And he ends that with these words, that in his grace and in the promise that Christ gave him, Paul pins these words that make no worldly sense. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. You can, that only makes sense when you realize that Christ is your strength, that you are insufficient, that you are too weak, but Christ is your sufficiency. Christ is your strength. So the weaker you realize you are, actually, the stronger you are because Christ is the strength you are relying on. Tell that to someone in the world and they'll think you're crazy, and they do, but that's okay. This is the word of the Lord. This is the truth of God. This is the promise and the hope that Christ gives to us. The Lord empowers. The Lord equips you for life, for doing the work of ministry every day in your daily life, whatever your vocation is. It doesn't matter. By grace, he empowers you to obey his word and to make his glory known every day. He does this as you labor striving according to his working, which works in you mightily. This is his grace. This is his promise to you. He has called you and made you his own. And even in your weakness, you are called strong. You are his servant according to the stewardship from God, serving according to the rules of his house. You are responsible to fulfill God's word, to make known the mystery once hidden, the gospel of Christ, to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, to preach Christ, warning and teaching every man in all wisdom, to present every man perfect in Christ, to labor to this end, striving according to his graceful working, which works in you mightily. You are a minister, a servant according to the stewardship from God given to you for his church to fulfill the word of God. This is the service of every believer made possible by Jesus Christ 
and his finished work in the cross. He reigns. Jesus is Lord, and don't ever forget that. No matter what the world says, no matter what they show you, no matter what they tell you, no matter how bad they want you to believe that it is, Jesus is on the throne, and he is Lord. You are a minister according to the stewardship from God. And as his people, baptized into the covenant by grace through faith, each week he welcomes you to come to his table. And this table is a reminder that he has done the work, that he has finished that work, that he has made you holy, that he is your strength, that he is your life. That though you are crucified with Christ, yet you live because Christ lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for you because he loves you. And we remember that Christ gave himself for us out of love each week we come to this table. And we proclaim his body and we proclaim his blood. If you are baptized into his covenant and you count yourself a member of his covenant people, as you trust Christ by grace through faith, you are welcome to this table. Whether you're a member of this particular local body, if you are a member of his body universal throughout time and space, you are welcome to this table. So Christian, welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. Your charge today is to serve as a faithful steward to all that God daily puts in your life. Obey and so fulfill his word. Fulfill God's word and reveal the mystery of his love. Show you are his disciples by the love you have for one another. We're charged to live to let the glory of his life be made manifest in you and known through you in all you are and in all you do. You are charged to preach Christ with your words, to preach Christ with your life, to preach Christ with all you are, to preach Christ as the only way of salvation by grace through faith in his name. And you are charged to be a doer of the work and a doer of the word. Labor, striving according to his working, which works in you mightily. Never forgetting that in your insufficient strength, his strength is made perfect. And never forgetting that in your weakness, you are strong. Because that is his grace, and that is his life living in you and working in you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. The Lord